0: Economist Benjamin Grimm once said the investor's chief problem and even his worst enemy is likely to be himself This quote captures perfectly that tendency for investors to act Irrationally and in ways that are contrary to their own interests over the past few decades an entire academic discipline has sprung up on this topic behavioral finance which is the study of the influence of psychology on investor behavior. While we investors would like to think we always carefully weigh our options and sensibly choose the ones that offer the most benefit, the fact that that we often don't, it turns out that real people aren't even really good at identifying options, let alone choosing the right one. We tend to misinterpret information and miscalculate simple statistical probabilities. And we react to events in emotional and often counterproductive ways.
1: How's my financial health doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the How is My Financial Health Doc podcast, and I am your host, Vu Ketran. Today, we're going to talk more about behavioral finance and talk about another behavior that makes the investor their worst enemy. I have a good friend with me today, and his name is Chris Rugel. Chris is a financial advisor and a portfolio manager, and he is an expert at behavioral finance because he sees all the mistakes that his clients make every single day so i welcome chris again back on the show to continue our conversation about behavioral finance today we're going to talk about a different bias that i see very commonly among my colleagues as well and that is the gambler's fallacy So let's come back to, I think, last last behavior we, we mentioned earlier, we kind of left it aside. And that is the illusion of control, which also I think ties very well into wishful thinking because we actually don't control anything. It's wishful thinking, but it also ties into the gambler's fallacy. So let's lump all three together.
1: Oh, they're all related. Oh, they're so all related. And I know that you know people differentiate because there's different elements to them, but they are so all related. So if we start with the illusion of control, I think it speaks for itself, right? Like the illusion of control, that's the tendency that people think that they can, because of their abilities, they overestimate their ability to actually control events that affect them. I would say in this particular field in investing, most people do understand that they are Insignificant that they are very small influence on the markets with investing. I can't say that I have seen a lot of particular of this particular bias um, demonstrated by the public investor. I think we do recognize our place sort of in the grand scheme of things, especially as Canadians, we tend to be very modest. And so we know that we're very small and compared to even our behemoth neighbor next door, right? The the U S where I do see the illusion of control. And I saw this when I was working for the big banks is with the institutional investors. The institutional investors, meaning the large traders of securities, they they tend to have a pretty big ego. Yeah. And at times it is justified because the truth is uh, and we have to recognize this as individual investors is sometimes we're at the mercy of some of these big institutional investors. Look what happened last month in Viacom, right? Viacom got Viacom hit one hundred dollars at the beginning of March and hit $40 by the end. And that happened because of certain institutional events that happened, some downgrades and analyst targets. And then all of a sudden, big funds, I think there was this one Asian family office that had like a 20 or $30 billion exposure to Viacom started to unwind positions, right? So the big players do have an impact on the markets. And and that's unfortunate because that actually can lead to a domino effect. And that actually happened, uh, I remember trading this because it was the, uh, the Asian crisis and the Russian crisis of the late 90s and early 2000s was caused because of a lack of confidence in, uh, some, you know, that was caused by some hedge funds blowing up. And that the domino effect of them unwinding treasury positions and options and things like that caused uh, the markets to, to swoon basically so they do have an impact on the markets as individual investors we will never have that kind of influence on the markets um but you had mentioned the other bias which was
0: uh gambler's
1: fallacy the gambler's fallacy though is 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 a little bit different because this is the belief that we can that we can predict you know a positive event occurring uh or that a a, a particular event occurs more than what it actually will happen statistically speaking. Right. I call it wishful thinking. Yes. Right. (laughs) Right. And so this is where you start doubling up on positions that are losing value.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, That's a horrible mistake to make. Right. There there is an averaging average, you know, averaging out that can be beneficial. Okay. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a position that is headed down like a blackberry uh and you're just averaging down all the way down and you're just doubling up on those positions and you're just losing money the whole way. On the other hand, there are traders and investors that close out positions maybe a little too early and miss out on gains. So, you know, gambler gambler's fallacy is a tough one to manage because how do you know if you should be averaging down or if you should be getting out? It's it's a difficult one. I love poker. I'm a big poker player, by the way. So okay. the two things, we touch on the two so, things. So are always,
0: I will not play against you in poker. Then.
1: I, I, I'm not the best, but I'm pretty good, I would say. I love the fact that we've touched on these two t- subjects in in this interview because I love movies and I love poker. I, if you gave me those two things, I'd be happy on an island somewhere. Um, I'm a huge poker player. And I like this sunken fallacy, sunken cost fallacy, because I see it in poker. Yeah, In poker, it's called being pot committed. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that is your bet is in. Yeah. And you, you might as well write it out. That's right. Right. Um, that's the rationale. Right. Now in poker, there's a whole mathematical equation that goes with it. Well, right. What's what's it worth me being in this pot, even though mathematically, maybe I'm the underdog. Yeah. Right. So I might still be the underdog, but maybe there's enough money in the pot for me to be worth being in it. That's basically what that is in poker. The thing about poker is that there's Almost like unless it's a limit game, like a like an open limit game. If you're in a tournament, for example, your costs are sunk in. You're not going to lose any more money than your registration fee, for example, and your you know your buy-in fee. So you know going all in on a trade, you know the the payout can be very big. It's not the same with investing. In that um, the problem with investing is that poker gives you the option to sort of let, cut your losses. In investing, you could lose everything. Like your your entire net worth or your entire investing capital by buying into the sunken cost fallacy of, well, I'm pot committed. I might as well just ride it out. There are moments where you need to cut your losses. And and this bias, you, you struggle against it. You struggle against the bias of, I don't want to cut my losses. It happens to individual amateur investors. It happens to professional investors. And I'm going to admit to you right here on this podcast, it has happened to me. A guy who's been investing for 25 years. It has happened to me. It will likely happen to me because it's difficult to cut your losses.
0: It is very difficult. But it is
1: such a critical discipline to earn and to to use because oftentimes it will save you from yourself and save you from further losses. Uh,
0: I mean, the mistake that comes with that is that we tend to sell off our winners but keep our losers. Yes. Right. So yes. That's where because that's... you want them
1: all to be winners. Yes. Right. And and this is where I always have to remind myself uh, of a trading adage that uh, you know when you're on the desk they they, they they give you a lot of little lessons and a lot of anecdotes to help you sort of you know manage and, and that is that uh, you only have to be right 51 percent of the time to be successful. Yeah. And I think that applies in general to life. We're never right about everything, but as long as you're mostly right about things, I think you'll do relatively well. So the same thing with investing, you have to understand that you will have losses. How you manage those losses will help you be successful. If If you manage them poorly, they're going to drag your performance down. If you manage them well, they will supplement, even though they're losses, they will supplement your overall returns because you will learn lessons, you will be much more willing to book gains when you have gains and you will be willing to minimize losses when there are in fact losses. So there will be losses, but you will minimize them. And then as a whole, your portfolio will do well. But if you are writing out those losses all the way to the bottom, they will continuously hurt your overall performance.
0: So with that, I'm going to tie it back to the first few misbehaviors that we do. And that is loss aversion. Because it hurts so much more if we lose the $5 than if we didn't win that $5, right? right? So the sunk cost is, I really don't want to lose that $5. I really don't want to lose that $5 because we are so loss aversive. And so coming back to this sunk cost ties in very well with that loss
1: aversion bias. Right. and 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 oftentimes investors forget that you're also creating a loss of opportunity. Capital oh, that you free sure. up, from a losing investment like my friend with the air canada stock yeah you could have put it into a technology etf right correct you're losing out on that because of that sort of now in her case it wasn't sunken cost fallacy because she did get out yeah but it was that sort of deer in the headlights and the same thing happens with the sunk cost fallacy is that it's deer in the headlights it's i'm watching it i'm watching it oh my god it's going down i hope it goes up And 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 that's where the wishful thinking comes in, right? Oh, I hope it goes up. Well, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. What is the what are the probabilities? What is the analysis telling you? What are the markets telling you? Is this going to go up anytime soon? Take a look at BlackBerry. BlackBerry hit a high of like 130 dollars back in I don't know what was it 2008, and what's it trading at today? 10 bucks. It never hit 130 bucks again. And there are people who hung on to their position at $103, at $100, at $80, at $60. I remember, I remember participating in that sort of that little that little uh, you know volatility, because there's opportunity even when prices are going down. I remember buying BlackBerry at $60 and getting out at 80, only because of the movement of the price. But there was no way I was going to stay in BlackBerry. Because I knew that there was the possibility. I didn't know it was going to actually happen. That it was going to head even lower. That it was going to eventually hit $7. I didn't know that. If I knew that, I would have shorted it. But yeah. the, the, the point is, have a plan, execute it. When things start sort of showing up in your plan that says, okay, this is a flag. Analyze it. Make a decision that helps your overall portfolio. But the emotions of looking at a position, seeing it lose money, thats a that's a difficult one. I know it. I've seen it. Uh, it's a tough one. If you can learn to fight it, if you could learn to make good decisions, your portfolio will benefit. I promise you that. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the very end of this series. And I want to thank you, Chris Rugel, for helping us understanding more about things that we do to ourselves. And sometimes those things are not to our benefit. So thank you very much. And I'll see you guys at the next podcast cheers
1: how is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by dr vukit tran dr tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education dr tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast the information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial tax investment or legal advice Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.